I'm hoping that, and I, I don't know how much hope I have in this, but I'm hoping post quarantine, post what's going to be a much longer than the next few weeks, right? This whole thing that we're going to go through. I hope that, that it reminds people of how they were literally made for and crave embodied community. This is great seeing you all and hearing your voices, Mm -hmm. but embodied community is a big deal. And without it, well, I would just say in a couple of storms of our life uh, that just loving embodied community just was like, hey, we're with you. Let's let's sift through this. And not not thrown by it. Just saying you're going to make it. Yeah. You're going to make it. You got to bring up our fight. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's... <laughs> it's not going to happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on, did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're a visionary. I see your connection here. <laughs> Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. We're sitting in our kitchen table. Um, quarantined. Quarantined. Andre, you got your candle on. It's a new candle. I just needed a little bit Quarantine. Have we ever used that much, that word as many times as we have in the last two months? (laughs) Well, that's where we've been the last two months. Yeah. I'm excited to get right to this interview because there's so much wisdom. I don't want to waste time. I want to get straight to it. You cool with that? Well, I do want to say, did you feel this like, you know, first of all, we're interviewing a pastor and his wife. Did you feel this whole thing because you're a pastor's kid and you wanted to like... Do you think, I mean, what did you feel? I mean, what you mean, was it triggering? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I thought they were awesome. Um, You know, you could tell, I like his approach because you could tell that he's talked with so many people over years and years and years of leading others that in general, there's not a right and wrong answer to marriage things. It's like, you know, they had to figure it out for themselves and you need to figure it out for yourself. You know, yeah. I, th- I feel like there's a, but we need to talk about that at the end, not the beginning. Well, no, I was talking about you and being a PK. Yeah. I mean, there were some moments there that, that took me back for sure. Did you turn out to be one of those rebellious, bad PKs? You'd have to ask my mom and dad. <laughs> I've had my moments. Didn't you have a cheating moment in second grade? We don't need to talk about seventh grade. It was seventh grade that oh, yeah. my mom has never let me. Like, oh. Your mom holds it to this day. The time she found out her son wasn't as perfect as she thought. Can we edit this? Out? This is ridiculous. <laughs> what are we doing right now? All right. So we are going to introduce you to Greg and Robin Holder. And uh, Greg wrote two books, um, The Genius of One and The Advent Conspiracy. And the Advent he- Conspiracy is so good. I remember when that came out back in the day, how they were they were kind of reimagining Christmas season. Yes, we Those did days. like that one. And then, um, but he's got a book coming out in September mm. called Never Settle. So we'll link to that um, in our bio and everything. But, and then Robin is uh, an entrepreneur herself and her company is called Top Sales Rep. LLC. When they got like, they got wisdom, they got years on us. 36 years married. What? Seriously, y'all, this is some good wisdom. So what 
should we be listening for? Three things. First, they had this great line. We got divorced multiple times before we ever got engaged. <laughs> yeah, before engaged. Yeah. yeah. Secondly, they're going to talk about how to talk, how they talk with their kids about sex, which mm. is something I don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast, but we all wisdom. need to hear. And number three, we hit, hit them with the rapid fire. You brought the questions from every age and stage, starting at pre-marriage, I can't even go through all the stages. Ages and stages. You just brought it. You're like, boom, let's go. If you have whatever stage you're in right now, they got a piece of advice. If they've been through 36 years of it, I think that they have got the wisdom and they brought it. They were awesome. It was good. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Greg and Robin Holder. Well, we both were at Baylor University, freshmen at Baylor. Babies. Babies. Like I was 17 barely 18. and 18 years old. I was old. barely 18. And we had two friends that were really wanting us to meet each other. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, so I'm walking across the campus and it is uh, there's this huge magnolia tree in front of Alexander Hall. And I'm going over to see this guy and uh, he introduces me and this other gal introduces me to this beautiful freshman from Texas. I'm from the St. Louis area. So, you know, I'm, I'm really fish out of water and, and she's got this drawl and, and trust me, if we were playing a recording from years ago, there's a lot more Texas that used to be in that, in that, in that drawl, but it was, uh, and that's, that's when we first met. Yeah, it is. And we were one of those couples that dated all the way through college. On and off. On and off. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was highs and lows. I thought you were gonna say we were one of those couples that everybody is like, will they, won't they, will they, won't they? And that was true. They did. But we were high low with each other, but we were pretty much all the way through school and I think we worked out a lot of stuff we did before we got married in just being able to make mistakes. Do you agree with that? Hundred percent. You know, that was it. I feel like we got divorced before we ever got engaged. (laughs) In some ways, I mean, wow. seriously, because we had our That's high low moment. The century, right there. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, I don't recommend that. Don't try this at home. Okay, can we say that? Yeah, but we did. We went through some really difficult times just growing up. I mean, I started yeah. by saying that we were babies. At least I was immature, and I think we figured some things out along the way. Right before we made that commitment. But I think also we had a lot of independence as we dated. So we were both very independent people of each other as much as we were interdependent together. That's right. And I think that set us up for what we're doing in our life right now, which is fascinating. I think way back then. So like, you're right, because back then we had, both had pretty full lives at school and they interacted, but they weren't always together. Right. I get it. That's very good. You should write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Like in it. So how does that play out? You said that's what really plays out today. Explain. Go further in that. I obviously being in ministry, um, a lot of women struggle, I think, with a husband in a role like a pastor and what is my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think because we were very independent of each other, I have a confidence to have a calling on my own life, to do my own thing, to have my own career. I'm as in this as Greg is in it when it comes to the church, but I have my own universe outside of that too. And I feel very confident that I'm allowed yeah. to do that. Yeah. And he encourages that in me. Well, and so I know that not all of your listeners 
even can think through a church grid. But the truth is for most church leaders, it kind of becomes an expectation that it's a package of the husband wife. And, and I get that. I, mm-hmm. I actually agree with that. She, I could not do this without her. Right. But what's so brilliant is that she, she does have this distinct different life. You own your own business. Mm-hmm. You're highly successful at it. And that's that you do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, you do that and you help me. So you really have two full-time jobs now that I think about but it. I so, love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that refreshing? Cause like, I mean, I was a pastor's kid actually growing up. So I could, I can relate with the story of like the whole family can quickly become consumed with yeah. that organization, you know, and everything that goes along with it. Um, I'm guessing for you, that's kind of like a breath of fresh air when you get outside of it. Is that, is that a good, like, mm-hmm. what is it is, but it's also, it kind of correlates with what my passions are. So one of my big passions is connecting people. So I own my own business. I'm a recruiter. So I hire medical and surgical reps all over the U.S. I was a medical rep. And inside of the church, I love to interconnect people. Hmm. So it's nice that those things kind of weave in and out of each other. Yeah, it, it happens. It's like breathing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's really cool. The other part of it that I love about the culture of our place is that from the beginning, there has not been an expectation for you to be a stereotypical pastor's wife. Um, and in fact, when we first said yes to this ride all those years ago, one of the, I, I remember you saying in tears to one of our board members, who's a really good friend and said, I will not be able to live up to like the traditional pastor's wives, stereotypical image. And then she kind of listed, you know, kind of some stereotypical things. And she said, I can't be that. I won't be able to be that person. And I'll never forget. He looked back at you with tears in his eyes and says, that's exactly why you're the right one. Because we didn't want that. So our culture really protected and allowed you frankly, to be a successful woman with huge leadership gifts and and go do your thing and still be connected to me. Right. Which I want to be honest with you. I'm, I don't know. I hope, I wish that other settings like ours would allow that. But I can just tell you our culture um, champions that. Celebrates it. For yeah, you. for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now I'm curious, uh, again, I, like I said, I was a kid of a pastor. So like, I feel like sometimes there's a lot of expectations on the kids in that environment. I'd love to hear some stories or thoughts you guys have had to process through as you raise. I think you have two daughters, right? Two daughters that are now married and you have yeah, grand in their twenties. In their twenties, yeah. One little grandbaby, yes, that we can only see through a screen right oh now. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Um, but so yeah, hard. There's this expectation on the children, especially in any successful organization, right? Right. Find right. success. Mm-hmm then there's ex- some form of expectation on those kids. Oftentimes in churches, the, you know, the craziest kids end up being the pastor's kid, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. right. What in are, churches, there's like this moral expectation, expectation yeah. that seems to even be greater than I would say necessarily like the business environment. It could also be because when I was in the marketplace, there's, there's a difference because the family is immersed in my work here too. So they're a little more exposed to those mm-hmm. expectations. I, I, and you're right. There's kind of like that yeah. um, unrealistic 
yardstick that you're going to make these kids measure up to, which just leads to the ugliness that you were talking about. But I remember specifically something that you shared with the girls really early on. And I would say they were elementary age is he said, you're going to mess up because there are people out there that want to tattletale on the kids. The preacher's kids. Yeah. This will be fun if we can kind of get them in trouble. And we said, you're going to mess up. Tell us first. Because then when somebody says, oh, did you know your kid did X, Y, Z? We can go, oh yeah, we're clearly, we know about that. And it took pressure off of both of our girls to know they had the ability to not be 100% at everything. Yeah. I I will tell you two things. One is throughout their childhood, teenage years, uh, I asked them several times through, are you okay with me doing this? Are you okay with mm-hmm. me doing this? Because I didn't want, I didn't want to get the end of a, of a successful run. And, and I do think this applies to wherever you are in the workplace. I didn't want to get to the end of a successful run and look back and see the wake that I had left. Mm-hmm. I'd never mm-hmm. be able to recover. You know, I, I don't want, I don't want, bad stories and, and, and dead relationships piled up behind me right. for the sake of some goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that makes it sound like I've always got it figured out and I don't. But one of the reorienting things would be, I would say, are you okay with me doing this? And there would right. be times, like I remember a time with, uh, with Alex, our eldest, where she was absolutely convinced because of a couple of her close friends and some stuff that was going on in seventh grade for both of our girls. I think seventh grade was a tough oh, year. Yeah. And I don't know. I've, I lived through seventh grade, but as a girl, wow. Um, they, they went through tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Public high school. And I remember Alex in tears saying to us, I want to go to XYZ Christian school because that's where a couple of my friends from church go. And in her mind, it was going to be, this is going to be my safety. This is going to be my refuge. And I remember we had a really hard conversation about, sweetheart, A, we can't afford that. And B, we feel called like into the world. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Christian education. I'm just saying for us, we felt called into this thing. And we're going to be with you through this thing. And I think it was about a year later. Mm -hmm. She thanked us. That she thanked us because of just some other, let's just say some other circumstances. Mm -hmm. And But that was tough. Very tough. But the other thing I was going to say was you uh, were brilliant in how loving and direct you were in conversations that you had with them about everything from how to navigate the drama to sexuality. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were brilliant in, there were times it took my breath away. It's like, Ooh, wow. I don't think I could have said that. But I think it started young. I think there's this perception that you can start having these conversations with your kids when they're in middle school. Mm. You got to start when they're itty bitty, just as much as they can manage and handle. And that builds trust over a lengthy amount of time. And then what happened was I encouraged my girls because, you know, there are a lot of parents out there that say their kids are their best friends. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not your best friend. I'm your mom. So I encouraged them greatly to get involved in having mentors. So there were young women that stepped in that were just a few years ahead of both of the girls that poured into their lives so that they could even unpack at a deeper level things beyond me. Yeah. 
and they were one off. They and they were, were one off. They were safe. They they have carried those relationships now into late twenty year old women. They still have conversations with those oh, people. Yeah. yeah. But it took the pressure off of me to have to be the answer person all the time. Mm. It built that concept in our girls that Greg and I live out together, which is you cannot do this alone. Mm. You must. Right have people around you and in your life that champion you outside of one another. Right. Right. Yeah. Because, and I was just talking with somebody yesterday and they were saying, you know, it's, it's such a myth to think that it's alone at the top because if it's alone at the top, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. As if you lead an organization, you are going to feel more weight and you're going to see more things. You're going to get more credit than you deserve and more blame than you deserve. Everybody knows that. (laughs) But you cannot do it alone. And so you're right. That prepared them for their adulthood. Mm -hmm. And this, what is to us a huge core value of how to live interconnected lives. Right. Yeah, that's good. And our girls to this day celebrate that the church didn't mess them up. (laughs) I mean, they both are actively involved. Yeah, and one of them not in our church, right? In they, another church here locally, and we celebrate that. Right. And she checks in on us, right? They have a community of people around them, yeah. And that is a win-win to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. That something did go well. That we did not everything, but right. that is one thing right. that went well. That's interesting. You kind of for a second there, you were talking about talking to your girls about sexuality and about like the reality is that I mean, a lot of people we talk with have struggled talking about it just in relationship with their partner, let alone with their kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say you're, you're onto something. You do need to talk with your spouse about it more than your kids. So you want to, you want to do that. That is inferred that we talk about that, but I think we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'd love to hear how you kind of address, cause you guys have been through that with your kids. How did you, yeah. How did you, you know, approach that? Well, it's very interesting. You know, we, I, it's funny because I just have com- I have a constant. It always seems like it's in the car, but I have all these constant car conversations, and it literally is. I'm like, why am I always talking about sex in the car? But I am, and it started at like five years old because I have like a crazy, intuitive, smart girl, and mm-hmm. um, so that's how you know we've started for five years now talking about sex. From she's ten now, but. I also find it very interesting because I talk to other women and families and that, you know, they have like the talk, the talk this one they moment. go away, they do a trip, they like do this womanhood thing. And it's just real fascinating to me because I'm like, I don't even know how that happens. I I've mean, seen, yeah, it seems like a lot of people are playing off of one, each other, one another in that, like, that's the way to do it. How, how would yeah. you respond to that? Well, my conversation happened in a Target parking lot. So, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, my youngest will tell you that you you, you didn't go away to some retreat. No, we didn't. But I was going to say you she exactly what she was describing. You had these conversations in the car all the time, all all the time. time. I will tell you. I will tell you something that one of our friends who is a uh, who was intricately involved in a in a what essentially was a running ministry at our church. And she said, the most powerful conversations happen when you're running. And Mm -hmm. she said, it's because I'm running alongside you and we don't have to look Look at at each each other other. when I say that awkward (laughs) thing. 
And I wonder if that same dynamic oh, yeah. isn't going on I, in a car. It's so funny because I was going to say, you've got to tell that illustration because yeah. it is so accurate. Yeah. You don't have to look somebody in the eye. So the awkwardness does go away. But I would, I would go back to, I'm sure that that works for people. I, I'm, I really am. I'm sure it works. And it almost, when you described it, it almost begins to revolve around, to me, the idea of ritual, which we have so few left. Mm-hmm. We just have so few left. So the idea of a beauty uh, coming out of a ritual between a mom and a daughter, well, I don't want to get in the way of that yeah. at all. If that's working, cool. But what I will say is what I saw with you that took the heat off of you and me, because there were a couple of conversations I got to have. Yeah. Um, was that we didn't put all our chips on one conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to, A, Ebbs and flows. A we're not that good. <laughs> I don't have all of that. <laughs> and, and, and B, they don't have the mental or emotional capacity to absorb it all. Right. And they're different kids. Mm-hmm. Your children right now. Yeah, that's right. As much as they may be alike, they are different. They're right. going to mature at a different level and pace. And there's patience that I think is really required with understanding what they can handle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, I do love that it relieves the pressure. You know, I felt like at five, I'm like, whoa, whoa, you're too young. We can't even be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Time out. Like, and then I just, it just finally, I just kicked in realizing like, just give her what she needs right now. And then I can exactly. give her something else if she asks in a year or a month, who knows, but I can give her a little bit more later. And I, you know, it just kind of calmed me in that idea that I yeah. didn't have to yeah. have you know, it all I'm, together. Forgive me for sounding like a pastor, but there is this, this core confession of the Jewish faith called the Shema. And in it, you so you find it in this ancient book called Deuteronomy and it's, it, there's some beautiful stuff in there, but part of what it says is teach these things. This is the great paraphrase. Teach these things to your children when they are waking up and when they are lying down, when you are walking along the path. Well, what is that? It's exactly what you were describing. The journey of it. it. It's, yeah, there is no sit down and have one big conversation. Just stay available. Keep leaning in. Right. it's, It's scary as old get out. Right. And culture has just created a lot of information for kids visually yeah, right. and audibly yeah. that you're dealing with at much younger ages right. than our kids had to. That's right. It fast and, forward. Yeah. On it. And you can ignore it and they're going to learn it everywhere else or you're going to be able to help them know the best roads to stay on. And I think that's what's important is you get to manage Great. their their thoughts and what they do with it. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. It's like if you wait till the kid's 13, you're you're behind. Yeah. They, they, they already, <laughs> they have, already, they already got it all figured done. out in their head. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's very different. Uh, that's really good. Okay. So I'm curious, how many years you've been married? 36. Oh my goodness. What? 36 years. That's incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. That's, a, that's the, awesome. That sounds like we win a prize or something. <laughs> did we win or? Yeah, did we, no, it's we, just, we've interviewed. We've 50. had the spectrum. 50 years. We've yeah, we've had people have been oh, yeah. oh, that's We're cool. not there yet. We're not that old. Some that are like we interviewed some couples that are in their first. Yeah. Yeah. We try to get the whole spectrum. Yeah. That's awesome. a newlywed episode. Yeah. Well, and, and I will say most, I would say most people that we come in contact with, friends of ours and even interviews, they don't have people, they don't know people that have been married that long. 
Like the, it's oh, that's exactly mm-hmm. right. It's unheard of. Oftentimes, like people just don't last that long. So, do you think that there's a? Do you think that 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 messes with people's <clears throat> like overall expectation of well, you know, it's it's just not gonna statistically, it's not gonna work out. So, you leave that door open a little bit. Is that is? Do you think that happens? Well, that he's interviewing us all of a sudden. <laughs> I I would say. <laughs> I think that this is, I don't know what you think about this. We actually haven't had this conversation. I think that there's a growing belief that they'll have multiple life partners. Yeah. Right. So they're entering all relationships thinking they're going to have two or three partners in a life plus maybe. And so then the options are always available. That's my opinion. Yep. I think you're right. Yeah. We haven't had this guy. I love that he turned the tide on us. This is good. Most people don't do that. Well, I feel like, yeah, I feel I'm sure it's different in the church. um, Because I do think that maybe the church. It's not. No, no. The statistics statistics are no different. different, But this mentality, I think that it trains you uh, being brought up in the church, trains you in this way of like forever. Marriage is forever. so I, I I don't know now anymore, I guess, about that church mentality. But I would also say for us, we have a lot of friends that are because of past uh, parents, honestly, broken that can, they come from broken marriages or things didn't work out or there's hatred or I mean, all the stories that go along with that. We have a lot of friends that going into it would rather not get married. Yeah, I I think the issue is not necessarily like I'm going to get married and just leave it open. I think they're not getting married. Mm-hmm. I'd rather just stay as a partner. Yeah, and we'll and we'll figure that out. It's a lot easier. We'll just be partners and we'll live together. We'll do life together for as long as that happens. But we're definitely not going to get married. Mm-hmm. I think that's more what I see. Welcome. Anyway, to flip it back to you. Yeah. Uh, y'all. Wait, how did that feel to you guys? No. <laughs> I I mean, in that, we've talked to a lot of people that say they've married different versions of the same person over that time. And we believe that to be true about yeah. us. So do what, you think that's true about you all? Yeah. I do. I don't, do you, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not sh- I promise I'm not trying to turn it back to you. It, what do you mean different yeah. versions of us? So, you know, you just evolve and change oh, and sure. sometimes yeah. okay. not Absolutely. just, not just the minuscule things. I feel like definitely that happens, but w- I'm saying even big changes of who that person kind of, you know, there's always the core, but then there's these big changes that happen and yeah belief system, you know, beliefs, this, that, I mean, all kinds of things, but we often state that we've married, like I have seven versions of Jeff that I've had to remarry. And, and that's just through age and stage and whatever. Yeah. So can you relate with that? Get it. Yes, absolutely. And what I loved was the last thing you said. You've had to marry seven different versions of Jeff, which to me sounds like a conscious turning back to him mm-hmm. and saying, yep, I'm in it. Yep, I'm committed to you. Oh, so this is the new Jeff in this season. I'm with him. Yes, yes. I absolutely think we've done that. Oh, which, yeah. Which Definitely. is hard sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. Very, yes. very hard. Yes. Yes. For both, right? Yeah. I mean, we both, I'm sure there were times that you were like, really? This is the you I get now? <laughs> 
I know you thought that way about me, but this is where, again, relationships outside of each other, you champion you to stay together. Full belief in counselors, going to a counselor, getting advice, getting help to help your marriage in those seasons. Um, Not just trying to muddle through it. I'm I'm hoping that, and I, I don't know how much hope I have in this, but I'm hoping post quarantine, post what's going to be a much longer than the next few weeks, right? This whole thing that we're going to go through. I hope that, that it reminds people of how they were literally made for and crave embodied community. This is great seeing y'all and hearing your voices, Mm -hmm. but embodied community is a big deal. And without it, well, I would just say in a couple of storms of our life uh, that just loving embodied community just was like, hey, we're with you. Let's yeah. let's sift through this. And not a, not thrown by it. Just no, saying, no. you're going to make it. Yeah. You're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I know you have a book that kind of talks about unifying people in the community that you lead. Yeah. I was curious how, how you unpack that in your relationship, just the two of you, like the importance of unity for the two of you. The same principles apply in an, in this relationship as they would in many of those relationships. So if you, if you look at this, you know, so it's called the genius of one. Well, the genius is that, that we were created to do this together as one. And that one doesn't mean that we shave off both of our differences mm-hmm. so that uh, we're just like clones of each other. That doesn't work. Uh, nor does it work in an organization, right? I mean, you don't want everyone in your organization to be the same person. You want different passions and ideas and opinions. That's what that's what creative collaboration looks like. If we're both the same people, then no, we're not going to come up with different ideas. That's an organizational truth. Well, it's the same thing in our yeah. life that we need each other and we need each other's perspective. Right. Hmm. Then what you have to do, if you're committed to that concept, then you have to do everything to, to preserve and enhance that unity, which, you know, some of the big concepts are, you know, what is humility? What is, what does humility really look mm-hmm. like in interpersonal relationships? The power of our words. Right. Big time. Um, I, I agree with that. I, the listening skills. Yeah. You know, there are times Greg and I've looked at each other and said, I just need you to listen. Don't fix me. Yeah, it's huge. I just need you to hear me right now. And there is so much connection that happens when we both just listen. And it is so hard because we're both leaders, which means, oh, like we see the talk. problem. Well, and we like to solve. <laughs> and we fix love it. to yeah. solve. Yeah. Yes. So I, don't people, I don't understand. I don't you know, know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and people expect us to be in that role. And sometimes you're going, it's not my job to fix you today. So yeah, listen right. to your heart. Yeah, right, right. So there's a, there's a, uh, a thing that, uh, some research that I uh, shared with some folks. Uh, there's a, a neuroscientist out in mm-hmm. uh, UCLA, Alex Corp, wrote an interesting book. But uh, he says that there is some research I want to say it's an MRI of the brain where they're looking at activity in the brain. And there is something that happens when we actually put words to our feelings. I know we've all known Mm -hmm. this, but what he says is even just putting words to the feeling 
engages the thinking part of your brain instead of the feeling part of your brain. And what does that have to do with anything? We have found, we were just talking about this. Yeah, just last night. That um, it's really important to do the extra work of listening. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of going, I'm going to try to put a word to this. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm, I'm like, like I've said to you even recently with some of this COVID stuff. All right. So this is irrational. I'm embarrassed to admit that this is what I'm afraid of, but dot, dot, dot. Exactly. And it doesn't make it go away, but all of a sudden I'm a little more out there and vulnerable and you don't solve it. Right. And I think it's a lot of what people aren't doing right now because they don't know how. Yeah. So they're, cause they're, they're feeling all these emotions and all this stuff. And you talk about it in your book and that kind of stuff where it's just having someone ask that extra question. Maybe that's part oh, of it yeah, is I, asking absolutely. that extra question. I think we're just yeah. rapid firing. How you doing? How's life? How's it going? And we're not going to those second and third layers of questions to really get people to unpack what they're going through. What are some of those second and third layer questions? (laughs) We were just listening to a dear friend of ours Mm -hmm. who's a gifted, she's just gifted in this area. And uh, I, I, uh, I, I'll try to explain it, but she's an artist at it. But first of all, we ask curious questions, Mm -hmm. but then what we'll do is try to build the next question on the last response. Right. So instead of me just saying, so how you doing? You know what? There's a thing going on where I'm, da, 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 da. okay, so what are we having for dinner? You know, that, that I, I think I'm just asking questions and trying to stay engaged. Totally blew past what she right. said. I was exposing something yeah. and you didn't take advantage of it. She was saying it. something about worrying about that interview. Is that gonna, guy going to come through? And I can go down the, the road of, well, what? Is he just not going to show up for the interview? Are you worried about this? Or I could really take it a, a, a notch deeper and say, so, okay, so what are you really worried about though? What are you, what are you afraid? Well, I'm afraid if I don't get that, then this isn't going to happen. And if this doesn't happen, eventually this thing's going to dry up or I'm worried about this or this, but it's that extra question that isn't just, you know, so I asked you how you were doing now. uh, How's the weather? You know, it's just, no, (laughs) it's, it's, and, and, and this is so hard for us. Yeah. But you said it goes back to listening, and I agree with you. Yeah. If, when you listen to what I said and then ask one question that just peels the onion back one more layer. That helps you. Absolutely, it does. It's not self-serving at that point. I'm, I'm helping Greg, or he's helping me, or I'm helping my friend that I do that with yeah. mm. who's struggling through this stuff right now. Which means, like, you have to... <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> this is real talk now. So... Yes. If you're actively listening, you can do that. You can act, you can actually do what you're saying. Right. Yes. But sometimes you don't want that. Is that like, I was, like, was going to say that. I was like, gonna say that. It's like 11 o'clock at night. You're in bed next to your partner and you're like, okay, if I ask this follow-up question, this is an hour and a half okay. conversation. I'm oh, tired. Yeah. Oh yeah. But oh, that's yeah. a boundary. That is a boundary and you've got to have boundaries on these things. What's the whole, the whole halt thing that we talk yeah, about? Yeah. 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 Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If, if you are, and this is one of our uh, counselor friends at, at, uh, at church when we're teaching relational, uh, really just kind of relational skills. 
um, he says, you know, it's halt. So what we'll do is if it, if it was a visual, it's a, <laughs> it's a stop sign and we just put H-A-L-T. And if you are in any of those hungry, angry, lonely, tired, if you are in any of those states, Walk you away. Are, you are in no condition to have that hour and a half conversation. Oh, so like the self-identification going, oh, if I yes. go here, this well, is not, because it's not going to go in the right direction. It's going to turn into a fight. Uh, yeah. Listen, if I'm, and you've seen the commercial, but if I'm like, you know, if I'm Joe Pesci and I need a Snickers bar, if I'm really angry and uptight and it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. any questions I ask, first of all, I probably won't do it, but any of that is not going to work. and you probably aren't going to want to come ask me deeper questions. So I think it goes back to your word boundary Mm because there are times that we will. And by the way, we're making this sound like we nail it. Right. uh, And we don't. (laughs) Okay. So can we just put that disclaimer in bold? We do not have this figured out. We work this out daily. And I would say over those 30 years, we just learned from a lot of really cruddy mistakes. Yeah, entirely. But on our best days, We trust each other enough to go, (laughs) we don't want to go there right Right. now. Not in a threatening way, but just in a, I don't have it. Mm -hmm. I don't have it. But I want to re-engage and we'll talk about this later. And then you have to come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like the, I think we talked to somebody about closing the circle, like closing that loop. Yes. I think it's also super important because I think you also kind of lose the trust if you don't close the loop because Mm -hmm. you don't feel like your partner really wants to engage with you. And so I think if that loop doesn't fully close um, and that happens over and over, like I think a little bit of bitterness or that can kind of start to creep into. You, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Same. I mean, just saying no isn't enough. You have to then come back and say, yes, mm. let's talk. Yes, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. All right. So both of your daughters are married, right? They are. Yes. So what advice did you give to them? Or did they ask for advice about marriage before they kind of went into this? Cause I'm curious, you know, like sounds like you have a good relationship with your daughters and uh, yeah, I have a feeling like, cause that's like the, if I were to sum up, if I could give my kids advice as they go into this next journey, what did you share with them or, or maybe with the guys? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. So first of all, there was, they both, because of, of, um, just our community of faith, there was a, a, what we call a premarital process that they, uh, was really cool. Mm Kind of going back to your point earlier in that process, there's a, uh, a, a marriage and family therapist here who leads people through something that's really cool with one of our pastors, but each one of these couples is assigned an older mentor couple, Hmm. not us, Mm -hmm. that walks with them through this and then checks with checks on them after long after the marriage. Hey, how's it going? Let's come over for dinner. You guys are about six months into this. How's that going? Uh, Which doesn't take responsibility away from us, but it's back to your earlier point of the communal thing. Um, But I think for us, we just tried really hard to, to, I would say underline a few of the things that hopefully the girls saw yeah. as we were growing up. Yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the big ones is forgiving often, yeah. you know, having forgiveness. And then the something again that you've talked about in your book is 
quick, slow, slow, yeah. which is, you know, such an important thing. What's that? Yeah. Well, it's, 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 again, these are all, okay, here's the pastor disclaimer, but it's, it's from biblical wisdom in James. And it's uh, really the term is, is uh, from the book of James where he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. Those are really good. Yeah. So it's a little bit of what we've already talking about. You're quick to listen, Mm -hmm. leave an extra beat before you say something. Right. And then be slow to anger, which is. And you've given a great analogy. I mean, we've actually done it. It's like a dance. Yeah. Well, that's not mine. That's John Orper. Right. But but that's like we're dancing together. Think about when you're waltzing or whatever. It's, it really is something. One, One quick and two slows. That's the dance. You so know? that's and, a visual. And for Ortberg me. says that, but mm-hmm. it's but it it's you you're you never stop dancing. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think we did a little version of the dance this morning, but we messed it all up. We yeah. went all backwards. <laughs> I was. We did a not quick to listen. You were I, on it. I was quick to speak <laughs> and quick to anger. Yeah, you were That's slow to listen. It's about five minutes we, before we got we on this call. switched it all <laughs> the other way. Yeah, yeah. And well, okay, but stick with that. Stick with that analogy for a second. So, what happens when people are dancing that way? They step, step on, on each, each other. They toes. bump into each other. There's nothing graceful or rhythmic about it. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so, sometimes what you got to do is to just you know step back away and go. All right, wait. Let's find the beat again on the song and start again. And I think when you and I do that, and we've done that today ourselves, we just said, hey, let's have a reboot on that. Yeah, right. That didn't start well. Let's start over. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. No, that absolutely And that diffuses it right away. It just diffuses it instead of, well, you did this and you did that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So can we maybe start over? Is this a bad timing to ask that question? (laughs) (laughs) We need to start over. (laughs) We need a redo from this morning. Oh, goodness. All right. I think you should take them through. So, okay. We're, we're going to go through all our, these different uh, rapid fire ages and stages. So, what advice, if you were talking to someone in each of these stages, what's the top tip or advice you would give them? Okay. So, let's mm-hmm. start with first our listeners who are maybe just dating in a serious relationship, but they're dating, not married. What's something you would give to them? I I think I would go back to what I said earlier, have established boundaries with each other in the beginning. Know what you're willing to let go of and the things that are non-negotiable in the relationship because you need to know in advance. Yeah. I think the word I would use to sum that up is identity. Do you have, do you have your own identity? Have Mm -hmm. you, have you, do you understand who you're called to be, who you're made to be, what you want to be? And it doesn't mean that you're going to be this independent, you know, monolith, but it does mean you have an identity. Mm -hmm. You know, when you were talking about that earlier, I was like, yeah, she, she has an identity. Now we, we became one, but I just, unfortunately, I see some people who are expecting too much from another. And if you've got this gaping yeah. hole in your soul of, Ugh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. Or they're sacrificing who they are. Yeah, either way, that's right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a both end, but you do need to understand your identity, identity and then how you're going to humbly and lovingly combine and really wrap your life around another life. Mm-hmm. That's really good. All right, next phase, married. Well, hang on. I thought they were going to say, 
get divorced multiple times before you get in. <laughs> no, exactly. no, 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 no. <laughs> I think wow. they regret that statement. <laughs> no, I, no, we're, we're, uh, is it fair to say we're used to those nuggets of wisdom that you, oh, yeah. you throw stuff out there and it's like, wow, you really just said that? You just said it. <laughs> we're going to hold you every, that one. We, we exactly. were all thinking, but it, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Next stage, married, no kids. Um, be playful in your marriage. Yeah. Um, have fun. I mean, definitely playful and fun. You got to keep the romance alive. Hello. Um, but be playful and fun. And I mean, we laugh a lot. I mean, we really genuinely laugh a lot. But in those few years before Alex was Uh born, I felt like we kept growing up too. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't mean that we had like serious problems or anything, but we were both trying to figure things out. I was in grad school. You were starting a, a, a what turned into a burgeoning career. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of had to keep working on this. We're two separate people that have now become one. Yeah, that's true. Because at that point, like you said, you're in grad school. I'm traveling two to three nights a week on the road. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to learn a rhythm. Yeah. Um, I think that's where we developed some of the tools in our toolbox that would become really important for us once the kids came along. Yeah. Yeah. You mean like your top three, what were those top three tools that you would say? Uh, well, wow. forgiveness is one. She yeah. mentioned that. Um, hmm. I think another one for me was just clearly and in an out loud fashion, just admitting what she does well and what I do well. I mean, it really was just like, no, you're just better at that than me. Hmm. And, and, and her saying, no, you're just better than that than me. And that, mm-hmm. that played out in parenting all the way through where we were, we oh, were we a tag, tag team. team. Oh yeah. We said it together. Totally tag a tag team. team. Yeah. yeah. We would know which child was going to respond better to the other parent. So here you yeah. take that yeah. one. Yeah. Based on that thing. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but I think we started learning that. Mm-hmm before kids. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. This is for the the parents with the kids under six that I just, my heart is breaking for them during this quarantine. But what about those hard days? Well, go ahead. I've got- Gosh, with COVID, I, that is really hard because I know what I did but I had somebody helping me. We'd tag team our kids with each other and people can't do that really right now. Yeah. Mm. Um, this is a challenging question. I, um, I don't know. The, the, there's a story that comes to mind that I was telling you was, it might come up and it's, um, I, I often hear, I hear one of two things from people in this time frame, and this is pre-quarantine, pre-pandemic. But I'll hear either people who will say, oh, this is such a tough, this, this terrible twos, or somebody told me, here come the terrible twos. Um, and then I hear other people, young parents who go, oh, I feel like I'm losing it. I feel like I'm losing it. They're growing up right before my eyes. Mm. And, and, and in both of those instances, joy is lost. Mm. Easy for me to say, I understand. I understand we're in quarantine. It's hard. But if I could just, when our girls were, I want to say three and five, it was big, huge snow. 
We're standing out on the porch of our little house. It's just so cool. We're watching them giggle. It's actually at night and they're out there sledding and just playing and making snow and balls. And it's just fun. You know, you just, there's nothing cuter than a three and a five-year-old, you know, and they're out there. Your dad, who's no longer with us, he and I, and you were standing out on that mm-hmm. porch. You were, you were kind of down further. And uh, I remember asking Bob, who's just, I just love and respect that man. And just said, Bob. I feel like I'm losing them. Like they're like every day they're just changing and they're growing up on me. Tell me right now, cause I don't want to miss it. What's the best age? Like what's the prime best you loved it the most age of when your girl, like what I, cause I don't want to miss it. And he said, Oh, that's easy right now. And I thought, Oh shoot. It is. I knew it three to five. I knew it. I am not making this up. I'm looking at my girls. I turn and I look at him. He's looking at his girl. Mm. What he was saying is, and then he looked at me and he Mm -hmm. said, every season, every stage, Greg, has its own just really tough stuff. But he said, I love watching my girl be a mom. He said, every one of these stages has been beautiful. And I tell that to young parents all the time. You're not missing it. You're in it. And yes, it's hard. But oh my goodness, where you are right now, It's glorious. Do not, do not forget that in the middle of the yuck and the kids throwing food and, Mm -hmm. you know, not wanting to be, you know, doing their homework. It's all true. Right. Mm. But Bob taught me a lesson I have never forgotten. So it is right now. And I think too, it's just, I think it's people just taking a little pressure off of themselves. Mm. You know, we're used to having these big careers and managing kids and there's some separation. So you feel like you do it better mm. and we're not getting those breaks right now. And I think it is where everybody just needs to go. Wow. I need to give myself a little bit of grace here. Mm-hmm. We've never done this before. We're all learning mm-hmm. in process. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the young kids. What about those elementary school kids? I think that's really a pressure time for parents, especially in this era of projects and, and soccer teams and, you know, the whole uptick of activity there. Yeah. Um, I think some parents are, have put a lot of their kids into things thinking that filling that time is going to help them more. And we even had a youth pastor this week that said a lot of his kids, they're FaceTiming, they're Zooming these kids are feeling tremendous relief with this quarantine because they don't feel the pressures that they feel when they're at school socially every day or mm. playing too many sports. Yeah. Mm. Um, the performance pressure and so. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of been ramped down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I would say in that era of those elementary years, which go by really fast yeah. uh, and they're, they're just sponges. They're just they're, developmentally, they're just learning and their brains are just, it's just, it's really a sight to behold. If you just step back for a half second and just look at that eight-year-old brain at work, yeah, it's just so cool. And, and you begin to just see things like how it really, this starts when they're even younger, but they'll, we're made, I, I know you guys do a lot of work with encouraging uh, an entrepreneurial mindset. I would just tell you, if you're in this age group and it starts younger, mm-hmm. I believe we are made to create and to make things. It's just innate. And if you don't believe that, 
then see how many days you have to go before a three-year-old, a five-year-old, or an eight-year-old makes something. <laughs> and not, not just little boys, but just makes or creates something and goes, hey, look at this. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a painting. It was a fort. It was a whatever. And I just, I just would encourage those in that age range to, to just keep stirring up that entrepreneurial dream. And because we need, we need, yeah. and this new world is going to need really good ideas. And That's what asked, I'd be saying. And we asked a lot of questions too. Oh yeah. During this time frame, we asked questions about what do you like to do? What do you want to do? Right. Because we started uncovering right. the girls' passions, I think. That's great. That's right. Because then that started playing out then by the time they hit high school and stuff Perfect. like that. That's right. So you said seventh grade was the hardest year for your girls. Middle school. Tell us about middle school. What what for those parents right now, what would you think that would be a great piece of advice? Uh remember these words this this too shall pass pass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's not helpful at all I have to reach back to what you said with identity I think this is a perfect time to start trying to help them understand their identity better have those deeper conversations about where you gaining your confidence Mm. why is that hurting you or bothering you if that person does X, Y, or Z. You have to start peeling some of that back with them so that they start going, oh, I can have a backbone and stand up for myself and not be afraid if everyone doesn't like me because that's the challenge in this age group. Yeah, It's really hard not to be liked. And let's go ahead and say that that when we navigated that, it was pre-social media and and, you know, it's just such a different different world there. But I think because of that, it's even more important what you're saying is that kids need to be able to find a footing and to say, okay, wait, this is who I am. Oh, and you've got my back and back to loving community. Oh, there are others who have my back because yeah. we're all, we're, we're all going to just face these different challenges. Um, and yeah, seventh grade is tough. Mm-hmm. It is tough. But I would say that for both of our girls, they forged some relational skills in the seventh grade yeah. that has played out in their adult years. hundred percent. hundred percent. Agree. Mm, that's good. All right. High school. I tell you what I love about high school is everybody can find a place. It feels like, mm. you know, if you're into computers or you're yes. into sports or you're into drama, whereas that wasn't so cool necessarily as a middle schooler, you can find your people. Yeah. In high school, yeah. and there yeah. is freedom I think that comes for kids mm, yeah. and parents yeah. even in high school that they see that start to emerge, and you can draw that out of your kids. But do you see how that flows out of what she was saying before of your about identity? Mm-hmm. Bingo, that's it. And so then you do this, and I would just put an asterisk there and say where that kid ends up or what it is that they find their lane. It may not be the lane you were thinking or wanting them to be in. Mm-mm. And that really goes back to what we were hearing this past week from some of our youth guys was that uh, part of what they were relieved from was the drama in high school. But part of what they were relieved from was parental pressure because it was just kind of like, hey, we got to be here at home and there is no select soccer and there is no you know, chemistry club or yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. just so as that kid finds that lane, mm-hmm. um, that's going to be an interesting and fun ride for you as a parent. Hmm. Yeah. 
and, and, Especially and when it's not kids. what you thought or what oh, you wanted. <laughs> For sure. And this is, I think you see your kids at this stage maturing at different levels. What my oldest was doing as a freshman in high school looked totally different than my second child who that started being her rhythm in, as a sophomore. Yeah. And it was their age difference. Oh, yeah. Um, that's and good. that's good and to you know. Because sometimes you, you do, do this thing with like boys and girls, yeah. but that's good to hear that even is but, true with girls and girls, you know, that it can be different stages. Mm-hmm. And and I think I know what you're saying though. Alex, our oldest, was probably the oldest, oldest. in her class. class. So when you say age, mm-hmm. we can't just peg them by grade. Right. Alex was easily the oldest. And right. Tori was one of the, the youngest. youngest in her class. Yep. And you kind of got to remember, you know, the grade is the grade, but they're on this developmental Majority. timeline that's way more important than what grade they're mm-hmm. in. That's true. So, yeah. 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 All right. And then you, they graduate and you guys are empty nesters. Tell yeah. us about this empty nesting. There's a couple things. I mean, I feel like from where we are right now, we're like freedom. But then I also <laughs> see that that like statistically in our research, that is the highest divorce rate. Yeah. Is empty nesting. Yeah. So I'm like, wait a minute. I feel like there, you know, two separate things happening here. Mm-hmm. Well, this doesn't apply to everyone, but both of our girls went to school, uh, went to college, and uh, boy, who knows in in the new world that will re-enter what that reality looks like for the next generations. Sure. But I will just say for us, those four years with them both being away at school was, it was kind of like empty nesting with training wheels. Cause you know, we knew they'd come back for breaks. We knew they'd come back for the summers. That was glorious. Mm -hmm. But the truth is we were on our own in those moments. Right. And so uh, I remember us both mourning the loss of them and that life and that everything that they are in the house. Right. Yeah, that's the thing, because each kid percolates a different energy in the house, and it's gone. It's all of a sudden. But it's also a point where we both had to look at each other and say, we can't just work all day, sit down to the TV at night, go to bed, and wake up and do the same thing over and over and over. So we started doing adventurous things again, like exploring our city and getting friends together. And it's almost like dating again, all over again. You have to get creative and fun and adventurous with your marriage again. Yeah, that's right. Um, That's right. Which we're thinking, we're hoping is training wheels for when retirement comes, (laughs) because that's another thing, right? I mean, when people retire, there's that next layer of whatever. And we're right back to that word identity. If my identity is based on these things that I do or Mm -hmm. this or that or the other, I'm in trouble because that's going to change throughout the seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think it's important to mourn the loss. I want to underscore that. Mourn the loss. Do not act like it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. That's that's just, it's 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 intellectually dishonest and it's emotionally unhealthy to say, well, no, you know, this is just the next phase. No, Mm. You, you have lost those life forces in your, and you didn't lose them, but they're not in the house every yeah. day. And yeah. the house is a lot quieter. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden everything's toned down. I remember one day when we came back uh, from dropping one of the girls off, I thought I was doing okay. And I remember walking into this kitchen right over there, putting my head down on the counter and weeping mm-hmm. for about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I just said, gee, 
I, I feel like somebody just cut my heart out. You got to admit that loss. Mm-hmm. And for us, then yeah. as people of faith, it's like, okay, then God help me to work through that loss. Cause I don't want to just feel that. And I really don't want to be a clingy helicopter, you know, Hey, come back and, you know, and just, you said our kids aren't our best friends. Right. We're in great relationship right. with them. Love being around them. Right. But you've got to practice that. As parents of middle schoolers, high schoolers, you have to practice this behavior with your spouse now that your entire universe is not just your kids. So those friendships that we had then, yes. we've really relied on. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 It's, it's like a slow letting go, right? Like. Mm-hmm. All through middle school, high yeah. school. You've got I have that. an example of something in high school. Well, I will tell you, developmentally, it's my old world, but that separation starts when they're two, three years old, right? Yeah. Because they're already that, fighting at that point for it. <laughs> well, yeah. And they're, they're, they're comfortable separating from you when you're in the room because they'll check, out, check you out. Are you still there? But then that separation gets to where, no, I can, I can play someplace else in the house. And it just, it really is, if you look at the whole thing, it, our job is to work our way yes. out of this thing mm-hmm. to where they are independent. Right. And you may hear a lot of high school parents say, oh my gosh, I can't wait till my kid goes to college. I don't know if y'all have heard people mm-hmm. say that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there is this natural thing that happens again at the end of high school where kids start pulling away. It is a natural separation. We start grieving early. Because we're like, where? who's this alien in my house right, that used right. to love me and care for me and fights with me all the time? And it's preparation for them to go and to go to school and yeah. to be successful adults. Yeah, they're separating. They're separating. And that was one of the main things that I remember. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Love it. But to go back to my father-in-law story for just a second, it's really cool because this is not the end. Right. Yeah. So now I have this this reentry with young adult girls who we get to have completely different kinds mm-hmm. of relationships it's with. So fun. Um, and it's it's just a different layer of intimacy that you get to go, oh, and, and again, struggles, mm-hmm. friction, things we wish we would have done differently. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you get to re-engage them as young adults. Mm-hmm. Leads us to our last question. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? 100%. Yeah. (laughs) I really do. But it's going to take work. It's going to take work. You have to be committed to the work. And what she said, I, I do believe it. I wonder if the reason you don't see more of it is because of what you just said. It does take work. It it will cost you. Mm-hmm. It will cost you uh, when you're consciously submitting to the other, when you're humble, when you go, wait, it'll cost you when you do ask that extra question. It will cost you when you overlook that offense and you don't say, yep, let's make this, let's really blow this one up. Mm-hmm. It will cost you yeah. when you forgive. Mm-hmm. But bottom line, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, re- I personally reject what I would call a false dichotomy that it is that, that love and, and rich relationships are diametric, diametrically opposed to making a difference in the world and, and hmm. being a productive person in this world. I don't think they have to be, 
I don't think they have to cancel each other out. In mm-hmm. fact, I would say you really can't be as productive as you're made to be and called to be if you're not paying attention to those love relationships. Because for me, 100%, yeah. you have fueled my creativity. You've fueled my, my passion on this thing. And I straight up, not just do I not want to, I could not do this without you. Right. And the bottom line is, I am more in love with him today than I was as a 23-year-old young girl when we got married. There you go. And we've had some roller coasters, but yeah. Yeah. it's everything. It is. This is so worth fighting for. Yeah. It's so That's worth it. fighting for. It's worth for. it. It's hard, but it's worth it. Wow. We just had our counseling today. Like we just had lessons. our marriage they, counseling. They were talking to each other so nicely. I think we need to go off the phone and give them a little alone uh, time. <laughs> this, be one of, this is one of the interviews that it's going to end good for them. Tonight's going to be a good night. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and for the record, we have a lot of alone time these days. <laughs> it's us and the dogs right yes, now. Exactly. So. And now it's time for the breakdown. Oh, yes. They had so, so much. I can't even... um, We definitely messed up on a lot of the things that they gave advice about. You know, the quick stepping and slow and quick. We messed up on that. (laughs) We also, this halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Like, don't ever get... We always messed up on that. Don't go deep if you're feeling any of those emotions. That was like... Oh, my goodness. The tired thing when you when good. we keep trying to have these conversations at like at some point midnight. I'm like, halt! Halt! <laughs> Slow down. Needs to be I'm, I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Do not talk to me right now. It's like every day right now in quarantine. Oh, it was good. It was so good. Yeah, I loved. Um, I loved both of those examples: the quick, slow, slow, and the halt. I think that's something I'll. I'll remember for a long time. I, you know, I also love this, that concept that they were talking about. He kind of was saying like um, teaching as you're walking that idea, like it's not about a moment. It's about consistent life, working out life with your kids. And mm. um, I think, Shema. yeah, I think you, you do that really well consistently. Um, I like to plan a little bit more for a a memorable moment, if I can. Yeah, that's your gift, though. Yeah. I mean, you're really gifted at like a creating an environment, environment, and a moment, moment and a experience. Yeah, and I think you, I think it's still valuable. You can to still do that. do that along the way. Yeah, and but it if is you like good. are dependent on all of your teaching of all of life on one weekend, that probably isn't going to work for me. So I got to consistently create the experiences. Yes. And I think having both probably is important, right? Mm -hmm. So the everyday car rides and sex talks and whatever. Oh, I thought something else they said that they kept going back to was this idea of encouraging your kids to have mentors. Wow. What a, yeah. What an important idea that was, that shaped me a lot. My parents said that for me and I really want that for my kids. Um, for sure. I think I told, I don't know if I've told Matt who listens and produces our podcast. I've, I've always said, I want, I want his wife to be Jada's mentor. Yes. This is like my shout. We do want Amina. <laughs> Amina, we're recruiting you. Uh, but that's not our choice. That's the funny thing. Like, it's not, it's like, no, tell your kids, like, go find someone that you respect, that you want to learn from, that you want to grow with. 
have it be have that per, encourage those people in their lives as they're working through things because they're not going to bring everything to us. Right, and doesn't that also take so much pressure off of you, like off of us? to be the everything, the all-knowing, the answers, um, when really actually they're not going to be wanting those answers from us necessarily. Um, I do thought that when we went through ages and stages, I was, it was very interesting. You you think? I thought when we went through them in the past. This is one time ever in 80 episodes (laughs) that I've been able to correct you when I get corrected all the time. No, it's interesting that they brought this up a couple times, but that this season of quarantine has taken pressure off of kids. Oh, man. And I thought thought this is super interesting for this season of time right now. And I think as parents or an adults that maybe this should also be a re-questioning what activities, what things, what kinds of things are we going to re-engage them and us back into as things start to open slowly and things change? You know, like, I just think that... Yeah, and what is actually going to ever reopen? A lot of these things well, are going to Well, yeah, but away. even just that idea of like, wow, so much pressure is off these kids. I wonder what that will allow them to be change become because there's not these forced expectations. Yeah, that's good. Okay. I don't know, y'all. Things are going to change. They're changing. But that was one little part that I really hadn't fully thought of. There's a little nugget. There's a nugget for you. Well, I'm sure you had lots of nuggets from this This episode. is one of those ones that feels like you got to send to your partner and be like, you need to listen to this and then we're going to talk about it. Yes. I feel like every time I send you a podcast, you don't listen to it. And every time you send me a podcast, I don't listen to it. <laughs> no, I just... Like I have this thing that's like, if you send me something, I'm like, I don't know if I really want to listen. Because when you send it, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm being like, told I need to listen to this. I know, I but you're literally telling them to do that now. Well, I know, but this, but this one, <laughs> this one right here is the one to send it and say, I'm not like putting something on you. I'm saying this could cause some great conversation, meaningful moments and in discussion. our lives. There you go. All right. Well, here is another episode of Lover Work. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here with us. And that's another episode of Love or work. See you soon. This episode was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.